I want to start off with this real quickly. I don't know about you all, but I absolutely despise going to the eye doctor. I, I can't stand it. I, every time you go in there, you sit in this chair and you're facing this wall. It's a daunting wall. And you got this chart in front of you, and the first letter right there is always an E. And then you work your way down, and you're trying to see which letter you're seeing and this and that. And it's, it, it's daunting. It's stressful for me. And before you know it, you're saying a D instead of a K. You're saying an F instead of an E. It's, it's confusing. It's, it's hurtful. I remember, I remember this one time I went there, I know my mom will remember this, but um, this one time I went there and I was doing the eye chart thing and I was extremely confident. This eye doctor thing could be a very humbling experience as I've noticed. But you get there and before you know it, lo and behold, I'm prescribed the glasses. And so I tried these glasses on and it's a wowing experience. You put these glasses on and you can see, like it's a whole lot clearer. And, and I was wowed by it. And some of you might not know this, but I am prescribed the glasses, and you can see I hardly ever wear them because I just, I just don't like them. But going back to the wowing experience in glasses, I, I, truth admits, I, the, when you put the glasses on, you can see a whole lot more. It's vivid. The image is more clear. And that's my hope and prayer for us today, or at least for someone, that we're able to see Jesus a whole lot clearer, to see him for who he is, for who he was and for who he will forever be. So before we get started, I would like to pray. Heavenly Father, I am forever grateful for this opportunity. Um, I'm forever grateful to be in this church family in the countless years that they have blessed me in the past. Lord, I am thankful for the men and women here beside me who do life with me. Uh, I'm thankful for you, Lord, um, and your grace and your mercy. Lord, as this message begins, I pray that you speak faithfully through me. Um, I'm thankful for this opportunity. It's in your name I pray. Amen. The text for this morning's message is Hebrews 10, 19-25. So everybody has Bibles in the pews, so I highly suggest that you open those Bibles. And the page number is 946, 946. So while you're turning there, just a little history lesson. In the Old Testament, a couple, year, a couple thousand years ago, there was this place, the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle is considered the most holy place, the place where God dwelt. And there were only a few select people who could enter this place. And this is exactly where God's presence was felt. This is exactly where God was felt. This is the very place that God existed. His power was preeminent. No human could go waltzing into this place, into this sacred place, asking for this or that, petitioning for this or that. There, like I said, there was only a few select people, high priests, who were allowed to enter this place. And the fact is, they can only enter once a year. Now this religious area that God orchestrated lasted for a couple thousand years before Jesus touched the earth, before humans knew who even Jesus was. But why should we be interested and invested not only to this message, but this text? Well, it's to figure out who Jesus is, to see Jesus clearly, to see Jesus as supreme, to see Jesus as enough, to see Jesus as the living God. With this in mind, I think it's about time that we read the passage for today, Hebrews 10, 19-25. I'm reading from the NIV version right here. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, 
having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us, cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, reason that God could even raise the dead. Not giving up on meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. As you can see here, under the Old Covenant, or what was the tabernacle, access to the holy place, or the presence with God, was extremely limited. Mankind could not approach God as we do today. God seemed to be nothing but a distant, cold-hearted police officer making laws and judging those who broke them. But in this passage, we see in contrast a man named Jesus who offered full and unlimited access to his followers in the heavenly most high place, the very presence of God. The writer of Hebrews here, we don't know exactly who it is, some speculate, but the writer of Hebrews here emphasizes how Jesus and his precious blood made way for us to be able to interact, communicate, encounter, and be intimate with our Savior. Going back to the tabernacle we just mentioned, there was this curtain that divided a certain section in the tabernacle, and that was the part from the most holy place of the tabernacle. That very curtain, some would say, resembles the great divide between God and humanity. But yet again, because of Jesus, that curtain has been removed. The title for this message, if some of you care for it, it is called, It's Because of Jesus. As we see here, it's because of Jesus that that curtain was torn down, and now we are able to have the very presence of God within us. And here, we have three exhortations or three encouragements that the writer of Hebrews is giving us. And the first one is to draw near to God. But before that, if some of you fall asleep or drift off, I don't blame you, but in the next couple minutes, here, here's the main idea, the dominant thought that I want to get across. It's because of Jesus that we are able to draw near to God in faith, hold on to hope, and live in love together. With that being said, I think it's about time that we get into the thick of the message. Like Sharon mentioned earlier, um, one of the things that I, I learned is the, the origin of words. And funny enough, we're going to do that today. Um, this past semester, one of the many tools that I had learned uh, this year was word studies, and it sounds just like it is. You study the origin of the word. Now, I learned this in my principal's interpretation class, which is where you interpret the Bible for what it was originally meant and what it means for today. And so, word studies tend to take lengthy time depending on what you want to do, but I'll make this short. In word studies, they go, they look into the context of the original Hebrew and the Greek context. So if you look at verse 22, of chapter 10, we see the author of Hebrews use a phrase, draw near to God. What does, this, what does that necessarily mean? This phrase, just for some information here, this phrase is used for 34 separate times across the Old and New Testament, mainly in the book of Psalms and the book of Hebrews, with regarding to relating to God. The original Greek word for draw near, bear with me here because my Greek is not good, Proshrekamai. This word is the language of worship in the book of Hebrews. Worship is often put into terms to drawing near or not being able to draw near to God. Hebrews, like I mentioned, 
uses this term multiple, multiple times. In Hebrews 4.16, let us draw near with the confidence to the throne of grace. Hebrews 7.25, he is able to completely save those who draw near. Hebrews 10.1, law cannot perfect those who draw near. Hebrews 10.22, let us draw near to God with fullness of faith. Hebrews 11.6, the one drawing near to God must believe that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So the one command or the one exhortation, the one encouragement that the, that the author of Hebrews here is giving in verses 19 through 22 is to draw near to God. Get close with Him. Be intimate with Him. But we weren't able to have that because of the old covenant, the tabernacle. The great aim of this writer is that we could get near to God, that we can have fellowship with Him, that we do not settle for a Christian life at a distance from God, that God is not a distant thought but a near present reality, what some people call communion with God. This drawing near is not a physical act. It's not building a tower of Babel or building your own achievements to just to get to heaven. It's not necessarily going to a church building or walking to an altar at the front of a service. It's an invisible act of the heart. You can do it while standing absolutely still or lying in a hospital bed or while sitting in a pew listening to a sermon. Drawing near is not moving from one place to another. It is directing of the heart into the presence of God, who is at, yes, distant, in the Holy of Holies in heaven, and yet is near as the door of faith. He is commanding us to come, to approach Him, to draw near to Him. Let's read verse 22 again. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith. Draw near to God with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith. James 4.8 tells us, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I heard this story once about this girl in Sunday school. And she was reading the Beatitudes in Matthew, all those blessings, blessed are those, and this, and that. And the te- one of the teachers of the Sunday school asked, Which of these things mentioned would you like most to have? And then the child, the little girl, responded, A pure heart. And when the teacher asked her why she preferred that, she said, If my heart were pure, I believe I would have all the other virtues mentioned in this chapter. With a sincere heart, we have authenticity. Yet again, because of Jesus, the loving sacrifice of Jesus, we can approach him with authenticity. We can approach him with our sincere hearts, a heart that we cannot fake or hide away, a heart that no ram's blood or goat's blood could forget the sins and aches of our past. Depending on which version of this passage you read, there's a few different differentiations of verse 22, but the ending is almost always the same. Full assurance that faith brings. Full assurance can be closely related to the word confidence. Confident trust, which confidence is used in the first verse of this passage. We have full capabilities to enter the holy place of God. We have confidence to enter the presence of God because by the way of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we go on with our life and we forget and we don't even notice that we're in the very presence of God. It's it's like this story that I was looking at a couple days ago. Um, Amazon River. It's the largest river in the world. You can fit in the Nile River, the Mississippi River, the Yangtze River, all into the Nile River. People can detect the current of the Amazon River 200 miles out of the Atlantic Ocean. One irony that I found of this is that 
there were some sailors sailing through the Amazon River. They were passing this ship, and they cry out to them, Can you help us? And the other ship responds, What is your problem? And then the first ship responds, Can you spare us some water? Our sailors are dying of thirst. And the other ship would explain, Friends, you are in the mighty Amazon River. There is water all around you. The irony of not just ancient Israel or just the people here and the tragedy actually around us today is that God, the fountain of living water, is right here and people don't even recognize him. Tying this first section of this passage all together, it's because of Jesus that we have faith. It is because of Jesus that we cannot enter his presence without the fear of being struck by lightning from the sky. It is because of Jesus that we can boldly approach him in confident trust and ask him anything, plead with him anything. He can sympathize with us. It is because of Jesus and the broken veil, that broken curtain, that we can see God for who he is. With that, it is also because of Jesus that we can hold on to hope. Can I be brutally honest for a moment? 2022 just ended, and if I look back, there were multiple moments that I look and I'm like, I, I really didn't have hope in that moment. There were so many instances where I wondered if there really was going to be hope. Am I alone on this? I mean, you can turn on the news and you can see the Russia-Ukraine war, the immigration crisis at the southern border. You can see financial crises all over the world, broken families, all sorts of stuff. Whatever it is, we all search and yearn for hope at some point in our lives. We wonder or we hope if things will get any better. We hope that something good will come out of this or that. Hope at its root is the anticipation for something better. We hope it's human nature, but hope also has a name. It's Jesus. In the context of the book of Hebrews, the author, who, like I said, we don't know exactly who it is, is writing a desperate moment of hope. The church that he's writing to, though we don't know exact location of this, they are facing excruciating and crushing persecution. Their faith is being diminished and crushed day by day. And this is exactly why the author writes this second encouragement in this passage. The second encouragement, the second exhortation is found in verse 23. You can look there if you would like. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. The NIV translation uses the word unswervingly. You can go ahead and say that if you want. That's a kind of cool word. Unswervingly. It's a word you don't, it's a word you don't hear too often here. But the author here is using it. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. The word unswervingly is a, it's a powerful word. It is the act of being resolute or without bending. The author is encouraging us here to hold on to or to hold fast, to not let it bend or break. Hope has real power. People who lose hope lose the ability to face the future. Sometimes their entire existence fades into oblivion and despair, but hope can not only revive life, but it can also heal the damages of tragedy as well. Looking at our own lives, it's so easy to wonder if we'll ever get any better or the deliverance of hope. 
If, if there's a lesson that I've learned this past year, it's the difference what you put your hope in and what you hope for. It comes down to the question, hope for or hope in? Let me explain this real quick. There's this guy in the Old Testament, Obadiah. Uh, you can, he's a minor prophet. You can skip his book in the Bible. It's just a short chapter. You're skimming through the Old Testament. Um, Obadiah was a prophet in the Old Testament, which means he was a messenger for God. And God gave him a message, not a, not a good one. It was a message of destruction for the city that he was living in, Edom. Obadiah was very familiar with the situation around him. He was distraught by how people were living and how boastful people were living. And God gave Obadiah a warning to give to the citizens of Edom. In the book of Obadiah, you can miss some details here, but much like the lesson that I had learned this year, what you put your hope in and what you put your hope for is the big difference. Obadiah was hoping for justice and restoration for people. But where did he get that hope from? God. Where did he put that hope in? God. Seeing the difference, is, it, it can be hard. We can hope for all sorts of things, a partner in marriage, a great career, a mass amount of money, our team to win a championship, but here's the difference. When we begin to put those hopes and aspirations in anything but God, they will not stand long. They will crush and fall before our very own eyes. The hope that the author of Hebrews is mentioning here is an enduring, everlasting hope. A hope that does not bend or break. A hope that we hold fast to. A hope that we hold unswervingly to. A hope that does not bend or break. We only have that hope in Jesus. Several years ago, the noted British journalist Malcolm Muggeridge was a guest at a breakfast in Washington, D.C., and he was finishing his testimony on a number of comments about public affairs and world policies and that stuff, all of which were very pessimistic. And one of the Christians present in the audience said to him, Dr. Muggeridge, you have been very pessimistic. Don't you have any reason for optimism? Malcolm Muggeridge replied, My friend, I cannot be more optimistic than I am because my hope is in Jesus Christ alone. What an encouragement. It takes a lot to say something like that, especially nowadays. You could turn on the nightly news and you could see a world falling apart and a world yearning for the deliverance of hope and yet say that our hope is in Jesus? Romans fifteen thirteen tells us, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. This is a good one. Psalm 62, 5. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from Him. My hope is from Him. If you look back at verse 23 real quickly, it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. For He who promised is faithful. Hope is a promise. The Bible may look like a book full of principles and proverbs, and it certainly is to a degree, but it's also a book full of promises, promises that we can stand on, promises that we can live on. The fact is that the only thing we can be certain of in this world is the character and the word of God, the very thing that you have in your hands right now, the Bible. 
Since everything else in the universe is fading away and uncertain, we can only hope in Jesus who is eternal and everlasting. He is the one thing we can hope in without failure. It may seem at times that it is tough to trust in him when we can't see what's coming. But on those times, we must still be unswerving in our hope and faith as the Lord guides us along one step at a time. I, I love this story. Uh, during World War II, there was a father and a son in Germany, and they were running from a war zone. And you can tell it's a war zone. Um, bombs are going off. The dust in the sky is dark. And a bomb goes off in front of them, and they're fine. And there's a giant hole in the ground, and there's bullets going everywhere. And the father jumps into this hole, that this, this, this new hole in the ground, and the son loses the sight of his father. And the boy, however, standing at the rim of this hole, he can hear his father's voice, but he doesn't know what to do. So the boy calls out, Where are you, Dad? And the father says, I'm right here, son. And then the son says, but I can't see you, Dad. And the father responded, that's okay, son. I can see you. I won't let you fall. Just jump. In the times when we can't see the father in our own lives, where we can't see hope, when we can't see Jesus, whether that's in our own lives, in the news, in the church, in our families, that's when we must learn to trust him that he'll be there anyways. If you haven't caught on, hope is a very powerful and very real thing. It's not just a, a want or an expectation. It's a very real thing. When people lose hope, they lose the ability to continue on, to believe that life has meaning, that makes any difference in how we live. Often those who lose hope lose the will to live or to, to fight Hopelessness, too, can make someone ill or prevent someone recovering from tragedy. However, if that is true, it must also be true of the opposite. Hope restores, hope renews, hope strengthens, and motivates someone to face the future with certainty and strength. If we are to go through life, this life, victoriously, we must hold on to our hope without hesitation, to hold on to hope unswervingly. Once again, it is because of Jesus that we can face tomorrow with hope. Just, just like that, we can face tomorrow because of Jesus. But we can't have the assurance of faith or the conviction of hope without the power of love. If you haven't noticed, the author here in Hebrews uses some very distinct language, language that isn't seen too often across the Bible. If you look at verses 24 through 25 in chapter 10, it says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. The NIV version of this passage uses the word consider. And yet again, word study. If you use the word consider, it means to change your focus or to divert your attention to something greater and better. The other word noting in this passage is spur. 
It's not necessarily the cowboy boot spur on the back of a cowboy boot, but the word spur means to instigate. Now, let me tell you, as the oldest of four siblings, I know how to instigate. Uh, my parents can testify to this, and my siblings can too. There have been multiple car rides where I will try to get my siblings to react to my foolish tricks. And as my parents commonly say to us, your siblings instigate you just to get a reaction out of you, just to get you in trouble. And it's a very truthful statement. But in relation to verse 24 and 25, the author is trying to instigate us, to move us, to get us to react towards something. And that something is love. The author wants us to react to the power of love that Jesus has shown us and lived for us. The author is giving his final encouragement in this passage to spur each other on to do good works in the love of Jesus Christ. In context of this letter, some of the readers of this letter of this church started neglecting to gather together due to the harsh persecution they were facing. But this is exactly why the church was created. Yes, the church, the body of believers, gathering to worship one name, fellowship as one body for Jesus. I'm sure we all know that the church is way more than just a group of people gathering on a Sunday to talk, sing, and possibly even eat donuts. It's an opportunity. An opportunity to be encouraged and to do encouraging. The church was made to build each other up, to spur one another in love, and to do good, to do good works, not only for each other, but for our Lord and Savior. I, I hate to bring it up, but <laughs> it's three years ago. Um, if there's one thing that the year 2020 stripped us of, it was community. Whether that was school, work, friends, maybe even family. And even at some points, church, we were without community. But with this passage in mind, we must note that the community is non-negotiable. It is a must in our lives. Romans 12.5 tells us, Son in Christ, we, though any, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Even Jesus, the one we've been talking about this whole time, commands us in John 15, 12 to 13. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. Regarding our passage in Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, community is necessary. It's, it's very much needed in our lives. And what makes great community happen is love. What makes the church happen is the love of Christ. The author here is not just encouraging us to be a church focused off attendance, but in the presence with one another, in encouragement and in good deeds. A body believer centered around Jesus, holding each other accountable and holding each other up in faith, hope, and love. The other day, uh, I was looking outside and there were some geese, Canadian geese flying. And they were in, always in that V shape and, I, shape. and I was just wondering, why are they always in a V shape? And I don't know how many of you all think of that as well. So I was doing some research on it. And fascinating enough, uh, some specialists in aerodynamics wondered the same thing. And they created this wind tunnel that happens to be in a V formation. 
And what happens is, apparently, each goose flapping his or her wings creates an upward lift for the goose that follows. When all the geese do their part in the V formation, the whole flock apparently has a 71% greater chance of flying range than each person, each bird flew alone. Each goose depends upon the other to get to its destination. Something else worth noting is when a goose begins to lag behind, the others honk it back into place. Now, let us learn from God's creation. The church, the church needs to fly in a spiritual V formation, honking one another into steadfastness. And at least must be 71% easier to live the faithful Christian life flying with the flock as opposed to going to it alone. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to do good works. Here's the application for this final point. Stay together. Stay in community together. Just as Galatians tells us, carry each other's burdens, and Colossians encourages us to bear with each other and forgive one another. There is a reason why the church is called to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to go out and to be ambassadors for our Lord and Savior, for each other. It is because of Jesus that we gather on a Sunday morning and worship and fellowship, encouraging one another, being with each other, sharing life together, not because of religious duty, but because out of love, out of admiration, out of passion for our Savior. And if you've happened to drift off in the past couple minutes, like I said, I don't blame you, but pay attention to this last part. Wake up, pay attention to this last part. Here, here's the main point. We've been talking about this Jesus, and he's a pretty common guy here at Central Christian Church. And it's because of him that we've been gathering here for over 100 years, as I've learned this morning. Um, we've mentioned the assurance of faith that we have in Jesus. We've talked about the hope that we can hold on to. We've even seen... How Jesus lived and loved together and in love community, thus creating the church, what we have before us right now. As we come to this time of closing of this message, I want to leave you with this. Remember how I had mentioned, um, hoped and prayed that we'd be able to see Jesus a little bit more clear at the end of this message? Well, here we are. It's the end of the message. And if you haven't noticed, Hebrews 10 is a text that refers to what was, what is, and what can be. We see that life, we see what life was, like attempting to reach God, who seemed distant with the tabernacle, but we see what life is like with Jesus paving the way for us to be with him forever. And finally, we see what life could look like with him at the forefront in faith, hope, and love. I don't know how many of you all think about this, but it just caught, came to my head. Um, there's going to come a day where faith is no longer going to be needed. Hope 
is going to be right before our eyes. And love is going to be the exact thing that we're going to be living in for a very long time, for eternity. It's because of Jesus that we have this opportunity right now, this, this very second. It's because of Jesus that we are able to approach God with our burdens and our shame. It's because of Jesus that the old, in the Old Testament, we have a great high priest who has already shed the blood for us. A great high priest who sympathizes with us, who understands us, who knows us by our name, who cares enough to die for us. It's because of Jesus that I have a purpose and a meaning. It's because of Jesus that I am never alone. It's because of Jesus that I can face tomorrow. It's because of Jesus we love the ones who have hurt us. It's because of Jesus that we can see the God of the heavens and the earth as our Father and our friend. It's because of Jesus I have no weight of sin. It is because of Jesus that I am forgiven and set free. We can all have this same Jesus too. The one who stepped in my place, your place, our place, the one who tore the curtain of divide between God and humanity, making a way for us to be with him forever. That's exactly why we have this opportunity before us. We're going to sing a song here in a couple minutes, and uh, it's a perfect opportunity to start the new year off right, um, to truly draw near to God, at least have a conversation with someone about this Jesus. Like I mentioned, Jesus here is a pretty popular guy, as he should be. I can look at many of your faces, and I can see how Jesus has impacted your life and altered the course of your life. For some of us, we might not even realize who this Jesus is. This Jesus brings confusion and heartache. But it's because of Jesus that we can have faith, that we can approach him with full authenticity. That we can approach him even if we don't even say we don't even have hope. It's because of Jesus we can draw near to God. It's because of Jesus we hold on to eternal, lasting hope. And it is because of Jesus we love because he first loved us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am thankful for the opportunity to speak on your behalf, Lord. Uh, 2023 is going to be quite the year for all of us. Uh, the joys, the tragedies, the triumphs, all of it. And Lord, if there's one thing that we know, it's that you're going to be with us every step of the way. Lord, we're thankful that you have made a way for us to interact with you, to love you, to commune with you, to be intimate with you. Lord, I pray and I plead with you that you open the hearts and you make people receptive of the message that you lived 2,000 years ago. Lord, I thank you and I praise you. It's your name forever. Amen.